Okay, so we are closing our series called Reaping. The first two weeks we talked about sowing, and these uh, last three weeks, really counting Ashley and his message last week, is all about reaping. Those things go together. You will reap what you sow. If you, this is true of every area of your life, whether you're a believer or not. This is just a true principle. You know, if you're holding physical seeds in your hand, apple seeds, you know, those seeds don't care if you're a Christian or a Muslim or a Hindu or an atheist or an agnostic. If you take those seeds and you put them in the ground in the right place and they get the right amount of sun, shade, water, they'll grow and they'll produce fruit. Natural principles speak of supernatural principles. Even in the spirit, that law is true, whether you are a Christian, a Muslim, a Hindu, an atheist, an agnostic. The world calls it, you get what you put in. The Hindus call it, what, uh, karma, or Muslims call it karma. It, it, everybody has a name for this principle, but it is a true principle of anybody. You get what you put in. When you look around your life right now, the things you're experiencing, the fruit of your life, what you see being produced is because of what you have put in. So what we have focused on during this series is if I'm sowing seeds, whether I like it or not, let me go to the word and see how to sow well so that I get a good harvest. Instead of sowing negative things and negative words, I'm going to sow positive things and positive words. Not just positive, happy-go-lucky. No, the word words. Listen, there are words out there. There are lies out there. There is truth out there. And you, with your words, partner with whichever set of that stuff you want. Through your words, you can partner with the lies of the enemy and come into agreement with that, or you can partner with the truth of the word and come into agreement with that. How many people out there have experienced this firsthand or seen it secondhand? Parents tell the kids they're losers, they're no good, they're never gonna amount to anything. Those kids end up being losers, no good, who never amount to anything. You've been speaking it over them their whole lives, or maybe somebody spoke it over you. Maybe you've spent different uh, times in your life breaking that cycle, breaking that belief system, because that is something you'll have to break over yourself if somebody has continually spoke it. But the things that we partner with, the seeds that we sow, will come back into our life and even other people's lives. So we have talked about how to sow in every area from finances to words and relationships to what deserves, where do I sow my energy? Where do I sow my effort? Where do I sow my time? Where do I sow my friendship? And to see it come back in our lives in a good way. This is one of my favorite verses. In fact, I think it is my favorite text here. Psalm chapter one, verses one through three. Oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or stand around with sinners or join in with mockers. They delight in the law of the Lord. In other words, the word of God, meditating on it day and night. They are like trees planted along the river banks, bearing fruit each season. Their leaves never wither and they prosper in all they do. This verse is about putting your hand to something, sowing seeds somewhere and seeing it prosper. You notice though, you got to put your hand to something, right? That's one of the things Ashley talked about last week that so many times we're asking the Lord for the blessing. We're saying, Lord, bless this, bless, bless me, bless me, bless me. And he's saying, how? Put your hand to something and let me bring the increase. 
Put your hand to something and leave the rest up to me. But God, in this climate, do you really want me to put my hand to starting a business? Forget about the climate. Forget about the economy. If I'm saying to do it, do it and let me bring the increase. But God, this is not the best time to do blah, blah, blah or this or that. And the Lord is saying, put your hand to something and let me bring the increase. Some of us just need to put our hands to getting a job and watch the Lord bring the increase, right? But it doesn't pay enough. Put your hand to it. You won't be in that position for long. Why? I know something that if you don't know it about yourself, let me tell you one more time. You're a leader, not a follower. You're the head and not the tail. You're above and not below. And that kind of person doesn't stay as the bottom person on the ladder for long. Some of you just need to say yes to the door the Lord is opening. Forget about the whatever it is, minimum wage or anything else. Say yes with full expectation that you might be starting at the bottom, but that is not where someone like you stays. You're going to climb that ladder. You're going to be elevated in the Lord's time, and your little is just something to the Lord that he can bring his increase to. It might be little to you, but don't despise the small beginnings because when God brings the increase, it's not like anything you can ever imagine. And that's what we read about right there in Psalms chapter one, verses one through three. But notice there are some stipulations. We can go back up to that. Uh, If you're following the advice of the wicked, there's a good chance this isn't gonna happen in your life. If you're standing around with sinners, it's a good chance this won't happen in your life. If you're joining in with mockers, there's a good chance this won't happen in your life. It's not that God isn't doing it, it's that you're not giving him the chance to do it. And then the second half here, but when you delight in the law or the word of the Lord, meditating on it day and night, the Bible says that he is able to do in you exceedingly, abundantly beyond anything you can ask or imagine. Doesn't stop there. Some people stop there. The song stops there. But here's what the rest of it says. According to the power at work within you. So again, another stipulation. If you're like, well, I love the Lord. I'm a believer. I'm not seeing things beyond what I can ask or imagine or think then maybe there's not much power working in you. How do I get that power working in me? Well, instead of standing around with mockers and sinners and following the advice of the wicked, instead, delight in the law of the Lord. Meditate on it day and night. That power begins to work in you. And then all of a sudden, exceedingly, abundantly beyond activates in your life. And the Lord is saying, now you're giving me something to work with. Now you're giving me something I can put my blessing on. Now you're giving me something I can bring my increase to. Any gardeners out there, you you plant something, all of a sudden you have more than you could ever imagine. A few years back, we planted a 4,000 square foot garden right here in this field. It was 400 feet long by 10 feet wide. And it was so much food. And we thought this is gonna be a lot, but there's no way any of us city-born, city-living people understood that there was going to be lots of corn on those corn stalks. There was going to be more watermelons and cucumbers than we could eat. There was going to be a harvest of peppers at the end of that year that were so hot when me and my dad were out there picking them, having no idea what we were doing, picking those peppers and then rubbing the sweat off of our face. There was no way we knew we were going to come in here and soak our face in half and half 
just so the burning would stop. Thank God we're a church that likes coffee. There was no milk, but there was half and half. It was French vanilla, and it was way better than that pepper juice burning. But there was so much food that everybody in our church had as many fruits and vegetables as they wanted. And this neighborhood, which is one of the largest neighborhoods in Gastonia, was welcome to come and be a part and pick the fruit. And if anybody is out there thinking, well, that sounds great. Why don't we do that anymore? Because none of y'all helped. There was like four of us that did it. It was like four of us that did it. Lisa and I were two. Lisa and I were two of those four. And Ava and Judah were the other two. And they were like three and six. So if you're like, if you're like that sounds great, then, then you can be in charge and you can round up the people to do it. But... This garden produced more fruit than we could imagine. In this particular case, we just didn't know what to expect. But you know, as believers, when we put seed in the ground, we do know we can expect a good harvest because God tells us that. But there is no way we can know exactly what he is going to do with that seed once we put it in the ground. Paul said, I plant, Apollos may water, but God brings the increase. There's no way we can measure the amount of impact the seeds that we're putting in the ground will bring into our life, whether it is finance, energy, effort, time, any part of your life. Have you ever heard that story? My dad used to tell it a lot about uh, the kid on the beach and he's picking up sand dollars and throwing them back into the water because, you know, sand dollars are actually living things. We see them when they're dried up and, and there's just a whole beach filled with sand dollars. And the people passing by say, why are you doing this? You're not going to be able to save all of them. And he says, well, I, I'm going to be able to make a difference in this one. I'm going to be able to make a difference in this one that I'm putting back in the water. Man, if we thought like that, well, how could I even make an impact? How could I make a difference? Thank God somebody wasn't thinking like that and led Billy Graham to the Lord. Because that one person might be thinking, well, I led this kid to the Lord one day named William back in the early 1900s. Well, that kid named William was standing in front of millions of people every week, bringing them into the kingdom. Because we never know what can happen with that one seed that we plant. God brings the increase. And one day, that man who led Billy Graham to the Lord is going to be in heaven. And there's going to be this sea of people standing in front of him. And the Lord's going to say, look what I did with that one seed you put in the ground. Look what I did with that one conversation you had with that kid named William. Man, we're all in store for moments like this. Let the seed go. Put it in the ground. Watch the Lord bring the increase. I'm going to read one more passage of scripture here, break it down verse by verse, and then I'm going to invite my friend Rob to come up here in a minute. He's got something fun to share with you guys that I'm going to be able to follow up on with my last point. So this is our first time tag teaming a message today. But Rob is a, I think you described yourself as a couch scholar or what, how did you say it? Armchair scholar. I like couch better. Couch is, it's a, He's an armchair scholar, uh, loves the Old Testament, and, and, and loves breaking things down and studying. And he has done so much study. I did not realize that when I asked him to speak today for a few minutes, I said, you know, 10, 15 tops, uh, share what you were sharing with me. He goes, last time I did that, it took a full year for me to teach all that. And I was like, all right, well, new challenge. You got 10 minutes. We'll see what happens. <laughs> He said, what if it takes 15? I said, that'll be all right. I'll make sure if it takes 15, it's all right. It's something really awesome. Here we go. Let's go to Isaiah 32, 15 through 20. 
Old Testament scripture, but it is prophesying and speaking about what it will be like in the new covenant, the New Testament. So this is Isaiah prophesying about the time period that we live in right now. And here we go. Until at last the Spirit is poured out on us from heaven. That's referring to the day of Pentecost. After Jesus died, resurrected, ascended to heaven, then he sent the Holy Spirit to dwell inside of every believer. That happened in the upper room. So that's when this prophecy, he says, the Spirit will be poured out on us until the last until the Spirit is poured out on us from heaven, then the wilderness will become a fertile field. This is great because the wilderness is, is two very different places in the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. In the Old Covenant, you always think of the wilderness as the place the children of Israel lived for 40 years in between being slaves in Egypt and living and stepping into the Promised Land. In that wilderness, they were taken care of, but it was always miraculous. They didn't get their own food. Food appeared on the ground every morning. They didn't fight their own battles for the most part. God fought battles for them. And, and when somebody would rise up against the leaders, God's chosen like Moses, literally at one point the ground opened up and swallowed all the rebels. Moses didn't even have to fight that battle. However, in the wilderness, they were not walking in their promised land. They were in a place that was dry. They were in a place that was hot. They were in a place where they actually walked. You know, we have this verse in the New Testament. I walk by faith and not by sight. In the wilderness, they literally walked by sight. They moved when the cloud that led them in the day moved, they followed it. At night, that cloud became a fire. And when the fire moved, they followed it. When the cloud or the fire stood still, they stood still. They literally walked by sight in the wilderness. As a New Testament believer, we walk by faith and not by sight. So back to this text here, the wilderness will become a fertile field. When the children of Israel stepped into the promised land, they were surrounded by fertile fields that they then had to tend, plant themselves, and see God bring the increase, just like I'm talking about sowing a seed. But I also want to talk to you for a second about the New Testament wilderness. Jesus retreated to the wilderness several times in his ministry. One of those times he was tempted by the devil, but completely overcame. Now, I don't know about you, but when people talk about the wilderness, it sounds like they usually talk about negative things. Well, you know, sometimes the enemy tempts you in the wilderness, but we're called to be like Jesus. The wilderness is not a place where you're tempted and fall. New Testament, the wilderness is a place maybe you're tempted, but you overcome. It's a place of victory. Also, when Jesus would go to the wilderness, besides that time, and even with that time, it was to retreat, to rest, to get alone with God because the people wouldn't, for the most part, follow him out there if they didn't know. They would find him in the city, but he would retreat, rest, and spend time with the Lord in the wilderness. In the New Testament, the wilderness is not necessarily a place that's, that can be associated with dry, desert, horrible stuff. No, it's a place where you can be with the Lord, retreat, relax, and Isaiah says that is a fertile field. Doesn't that sound like what we always talk about with giving? Get with the Lord, ask him what to give, ask him what you have, that seed, where to put it in the ground. Let him tell you. That's a fertile field. Time with the Lord as a New Testament believer is a fertile field. He's not gonna accuse you and make you feel bad. When you spend time with the Lord, he's gonna tell you how much he loves you. He's gonna tell you who you are in Christ. He's gonna, the Holy Spirit is our encourager, our comforter. Those are the things we find when we spend time with the Lord. That's what we can call the fertile field of the wilderness in the New Testament. The wilderness will become a fertile field and the fertile field will yield bountiful crops. Time with the Lord. 
asking him, show me what I have that is seed and where it belongs, that will produce bountiful harvest in your life. That is how you will get the things you need in your life. You'll sow seeds and those seeds will produce good things. When we give to Teradez Ministries, it's funding the gospel going across the world. When we give to Hope for India, it's funding the gospel being spread throughout India. But it also puts us in a position to receive a harvest from those seeds. And that's a good thing. And it's not bad to think like that. It's not bad to think, oh, I'm going to plant a seed here. It's going to do some good stuff in Hope for India, but it's also going to do some good stuff for me. That's something we can celebrate. I believe that's part of why the Bible says give joyfully. It's so exciting. Ooh, sorry. That's pretty loud. I'll have that in my, my holster for when I'm doing like one of those angry ones when I'm like, I don't ever do angry messages. <laughs> but if one ever comes up, that's my gavel. You know, when Lisa and I first began to pastor FCG seven years ago when my dad passed away, uh, Andrew Womack spoke something really, um, it felt a little bit hard in the moment uh, because I was in a grieving process. But one of the things he said kind of right away is, you know, you can't lead the church with your dad's vision. It's time for you to get your own vision. People will follow that. They can't follow um, somebody who, who's passed away his vision. It has to be your vision. And uh, man, I just thought, man, I'm doing so much stuff right now. I'm trying to figure out all this. And now I got to figure out a vision for the whole church. I just add it to my list, right? That's what it felt like in the moment. But I'm telling you, within a week, I, I just heard the Lord say that, um, that it was going to come from time with him. It wasn't going to come from brainstorming, from a pros and cons list. It wasn't going to come from anything else. And, and I was spending some time with the Lord one morning and it rolled over into my gym time. And I was at the gym on a treadmill, just running, sweating like crazy, looking insane. And it was like that home local global vision was just like a download into my heart. Like even like the logo that we used to use, the home local global and the bubbles. I know it was simple, but I'm definitely not a graphic designer. Even that logo was just like downloaded into my heart. And that afternoon, I started sketching out a logo, started writing out what a home local global vision means, the hope of Jesus in every family, the hope of Jesus in our city, the hope of Jesus in our world, that this is a vision for Freedom Church, that, that in a way it's carrying on a legacy, but in another way it's moving forward, leading people with a vision. But it happened in time with the Lord. It happened in that, if you want to call it, that wilderness moment. And doesn't it make sense? Jesus said in Matthew 6, verse 33, seek the kingdom first and all these things will be added unto you. So that's when we do that is when we get so much revelation. Let's get back to our text. And uh, let's see, justice will rule in the wilderness and righteousness in the fertile field. And this righteousness will bring peace. Yes, it will bring quietness and confidence forever. So when we talk about the fertile field of the new covenant and we're listening to the Lord where we are supposed to sow, how we are supposed to sow, how could that bring quietness and confidence forever? Because 
when you're putting your seed in the ground and you're not having to worry about outside circumstances. Why? Because in the kingdom of God, it never changes. It's always the same. And the Bible says that God will bring an increase. We're not sitting around worrying about crop failure. We're not worrying that we won't be taken care of. We sit in quietness and confidence because we put our seed in the ground. We put our bread on the table. We don't go hungry. We don't miss a harvest. Uh, I heard a story about a farmer, uh, Andrew Walmack actually tells it, that decided one year he wasn't going to plant any seed. He was just going to give all of his seed away to other farmers and believe the Lord for a supernatural harvest on seeds that he never even planted. And when harvest time came around, he literally had no crops whatsoever. He had some leftovers springing up from the year before, but he never put his seed in the ground. And it's like, well, Lord, I'm waiting for your blessing. And the Lord's like, what am I supposed to bless? You didn't put any seed in the ground, right? So on the other hand, though, on the other hand, I love that Ashley, he brought this great message last week that how do we see the increase of the Lord happen in our lives? He said, first, we have to, uh, let's, let's see, it was, uh, the second was being generous with how we sow, and the first was diligence. Put your hand to something diligently and give generously. At the same time, this farmer, he gave away all his seed, right? He was generous, but he wasn't diligent. He didn't plant the seeds, so there was no increase. But at the same time, what if you're diligent, right? You got some seeds, you're gathering the seeds for the next harvest, but you're not generous. And other, the picture I see in my head is, is, is the farmer just holding all the seed to himself. Well, I can't let this seed go. I can't put it, I can't give it to the ground or I won't have any seed left. But that's not exactly how it works, is it? You generously put your seed in the ground, you get a harvest, and in that harvest, you even receive more seed. Diligence and uh, diligence and generosity bring this into your life. But when you do it, when you sow into fertile field of the new covenant, that you will live in safety, quietly at home, you will be at rest. That's the next part of the text. Even if the forest should be destroyed and the city torn down, the Lord will greatly bless his people. In other words, it doesn't matter what goes on around you. It doesn't matter what this world's economy is doing. It doesn't matter if the forest is destroyed and the city torn down. You will be greatly blessed by God when you put the seed that he's given you in the ground. I'm gonna invite Rob up to share uh, this message or, or, or the, the, these details about some old covenant stuff that's gonna be, it's gonna wrap up this message and lead to my last point. Rob, thank you for doing this. A full year, we'll see, right? No, I'm just joking. This is gonna be awesome. You ready? Yes, sir. Thank you. Sure. Thank you, Pastor BJ. Um, so he asked me to do this, like, like he said, and my, my jaw hit the floor because it takes, this is, this is huge. But um, if you don't like numbers, please bear with me because this is all I'm gonna give you. Um, so a long time ago, on a snowy day in Belmont, before I had a four-wheel drive, I was stuck in the house. And I was studying through the book of Leviticus, which is probably something that nobody's ever said out loud. <laughs> but that's what I do. And um, I was reading through all the different sacrifices that God prescribed. And there are many. There's, of course, we know the, the feast days. We have Passover, unleavened bread, first fruits, Pentecost, trumpets, atonement, and uh, trumpets. Uh, sorry, tabernacles. But there's also, interspersed in that, you have a new moon celebration once a month, and then you have a daily sacrifice, and the list goes on. But 
he gives you a list of all the animals that are required for all of these um, occurrences, all these dates. And I started thinking about it, and I said, well, let's quantify this. I'm bored, I'm snowed in, I have nothing else to do. So I opened up Excel, and I started writing a spreadsheet. I got a couple of laughs. Okay, there's, there's, a, there's a couple of people that respect the, the miracle of, of Excel. So, amen. Thank God for Excel, right? If it wasn't for that, I couldn't do math. Anyway, so what I did was I sat down and I, I, I collated everything. And for the, the, the daily sacrifices, which there's 365 of them that we would say, you have a morning and an evening, Right. You have the lamb you're supposed to give morning and evening. And then along with that, you've got a grain offering, an oil offering, and a wine offering. Every day, you're supposed to give two lambs over a, a gallon and a half of oil and a gallon of wine and, and uh, uh, sorry, a gallon of wine and oil and a gallon and a half of wheat flour, right? That's every day. Every Sabbath day, every seventh day, it's double that, Okay. On new moons, which you have 12 of those, God prescribed he wants from every household. Now, this is just household, okay? He wants uh, two bulls, one ram, seven lambs, and one goat, plus the oil, wine, and grain offerings. Okay, you with me? On Passover, once a year, for every household, you are to provide... 14 bulls, 7 rams, 63 lambs, and 7 goats. You're supposed to provide 67 gallons of wheat, 22 gallons of oil, and 22 gallons of wine once a year. For first fruits, which is in a, just a, a couple days later, you're supposed to give 3 lambs, almost 2 gallons of wheat, a half a gallon of oil, and a half a gallon of grain, or a half a gallon of uh, oil, oil, wine, and grain. I'm going to get that eventually. Pentecost, in the summertime, every household, three bulls, three rams, 18 lambs, two goats, 19 gallons of wheat, six gallons of oil, and six gallons of wine. This is starting to get expensive. Very expensive. Remember, that you're farming this. You're bringing this out of the ground. You're raising these animals. Now, for the three fall feasts, which we're actually in the season of right now, you have trumpets, atonements, and tabernacles. For trumpets, every household, five bulls, three rams, 25 lambs, two goats, 27 gallons of, of, of wheat, nine gallons of oil, nine gallons of wine. A couple days later, every household, three bulls, one ram, 11 lambs, and one goat, 12 gallons of wheat, four gallons of oil, four gallons of wine. Now on tabernacles, which is an eight-day feast, this is going to be, this is every household, again, 71 bulls, 15 rams, 111 lambs, 8 goats, 192 gallons of wheat, 63 gallons of oil, and 63 gallons of wine. This is expensive, okay? And this is what God demanded from every household every year, okay? This is what he demanded from you, from them. Now, I went back into a different book. I went one chapter up to Numbers. And I thought, okay, I have all this, but this doesn't really mean anything. How many households are we talking about here? So in the book of Numbers, there's two censuses. Moses counted the people or the, 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 the heads of families that came out of Egypt 
And at the end of Numbers, he counted the heads of families that were going into the Promised Land. So I did the second census, which turned out to be 601,730 men that had households. This does not include wives, children, none of that. This is just households. So at the end of the year, the nation is supposed to produce 100, I'm sorry, 72,207,600 bulls, 24,670,930 rams, 691,387,770 lambs, 19,255,360 goats, 856,863,520 gallons of wheat or flour, 329,146,310 gallons of oil and wine. Yes. Now, remember, this is just for sacrifice. This is going into a fire. Are you bearing with me? The, the astronomical numbers I'm throwing at you. This was not what he promised that they would also lend and eat and export and trade with and whatever else. This is just what he required. Now this is the kicker. I went back and I got even more nerdy and I went to the Department of the, the Department of Agriculture. Go ahead and laugh. It's okay. I'm showing you a miracle. So I wanted to know how many acres of land you had to have to efficiently support one cow. It's 1.8 acres per cow. For sheep, it's three sheep per three sheep. Three sheep per acre. Goats is six goats per acre. Wheat can yield uh, 1,210 gallons of flour per acre. Olives can, or olive trees can produce 1,114 gallons per acre. And wine, a vineyard, can produce 720 gallons per acre. Is everybody still awake? Okay, here we go. That means, once you translate everything from acres into square miles, you would have to have 203,084 square miles worth of cattle. 372,947 square miles for sheep, 5,022 square miles for goats, 1,106 square miles for wheat, 462 square miles for olives or olive oil, and 714 square miles for wine. Hang on. The nation of Israel is only 8,522 square miles. It's the size of New Jersey. I've never been to New Jersey, but I know it's way smaller than North Carolina. The required property for this to happen under normal circumstances for all this produce, all these animals, the, requ the minimum requirement is 583,336 square miles. That is, the, that is a landmass the size of the state of Alaska. God told his people that if they simply followed his statutes, a country the size of New Jersey 
would produce enough oil, wine, flour, and livestock that would, that would fill the, land, the whole landmass of the state of Alaska. This promise was based on a supernatural premise. It's not possible in the natural. And this, again, was only what he required, not what they would trade, not what they would sell, and not what they would eat themselves. That's good, is it not? Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You did it. You did it. Keep in mind, keep in mind that when David was king and when Solomon was king especially and specifically, people like the queen of Sheba pulled up to spend time with Solomon because she'd heard of the riches being produced in Israel, but needed to see it for her own eyes. And it said she had never seen anything like it. And she brought gifts to Solomon, yet when she left, he loaded her down with way more than she brought to him. So we're talking about, Rob was talking about what it required just to produce the sacrifices that as Rob so nicely worded would just go into a fire. And you know what this reminds me of? This reminds me of, of, of the former prostitute that poured out a year's worth of salary at the feet of Jesus. And everybody looked around and Judah specifically said, it's a waste, she's wasting it. And Jesus said, no, she's not wasting it because he doesn't see things like we see it. Throw all this into a fire. It's like, wait, they're wasting it. No, 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 they're giving it to the Lord. They're putting seed in the ground. And it was one of the most prosperous nations in the history of the world during this time. That's awesome. So never, ever look at what you have to give and think this is small. I only have a little bit of time to give. What is it even worth? Don't try to measure what God can do with your seed because it's impossible in the natural to measure what he does with your little bit of time you're going to give this person. Don't think, well, I can only give a little bit to, to Hope for India next week or to Ashley and Carl. Don't measure by the amount you're putting in the ground. Ask the Lord because there is no way to calculate in human methods what God can do with your seed. The fruit of the seed isn't even necessarily the blessing. The blessing is that he will bless that, that he will bring that increase. Man, that's powerful. That's so powerful. We sit around, we pray for the blessing. We pray, Lord, give me that blessing. And we're thinking of the things. And he's saying, give me something to bless. Put it in the fire. Put it in the ground. Plant that seed. Give me something to put my blessing on, and I will bring the increase. It didn't matter that the landmass was the size of New Jersey, yet they needed the landmass of the size of Alaska, which is bigger than Texas as far as landmass goes. Man, that's powerful. That's awesome, 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 right? Man, that's so good. It's so, so good. Oh, man. Thank you, Jesus. Rob, thank you so much for sharing that. I'm going to invite the band to come up here. You know, you're talking about this blessing. This is the final thing I'm going to say, that these Old Testament, this Old Testament nation walked in. Here's the crazy part. It was 100% based on if they did it right. 
okay, the increase that they were promised was 100% based on are they living right and are they following my instructions right? As a New Testament believer, we have a promise they didn't have. They have, we have a promise they didn't have that Jesus, he lived, he died, he carried our sin on the cross, he carried our sicknesses to the grave. And now we are blessed according to him having done it all right. Right? We're blessed according to him keeping things right. These guys had to go make their sin offerings or they weren't walking around forgiven. Well, you and I as New Testament believers are walking around forgiven 24-7. That's good news. If you don't believe it, then you might need to get to sacrificing because there's only two ways. You make those sacrifices like the Lord said or you believe in Jesus. And that's good news. So as believers, no matter what we've done in the past, no matter where we've been, no matter what we've done before or the seeds we've sown. Right now, we can apply the word to our lives. As New Testament believers, we can put seed in the ground. And because of Jesus, not because we're doing it all the way right, we can expect an increase. We can expect that blessing on what we're putting in the ground and we can expect a good harvest not going to be withheld because we make a mistake, not going to be withheld because we fall into some old habits. No, we get up, we brush ourselves off. We thank the Lord for his forgiveness. Thank the Lord for his giving us a place with him through Jesus. We delight in the word of the Lord and think about it day and night instead of standing around with sinners, mockers, and, and the power of the Lord at work within us is active and we see more than we could ever ask, think, or imagine. Man, when the Lord tells you to put a seed in the ground, don't sit there and try to measure what he can give you or what that seed can produce. Amen. Simple, simple example that Ashley said last week, you can count how many seeds are in an apple, but you can't count how many apples are in a seed. I mean, one seed alone can produce a tree that then has hundreds of apples every year. Each apple has seven, eight seeds. I mean, that is a good example. Don't ever think something is small. Spend your time with the Lord and ask him where to put seed in every area of your life. Watch him bring the increase. It doesn't matter if you don't have the land mass to hold it, it doesn't matter if it's gonna take something supernatural to make this happen. It doesn't matter if you don't even, or can't see the source. God wasn't concerned about what the land could give Israel. He's still not. You put your seed in the ground and watch the increase, amen? Let's stand and respond to the Lord with a few moments of worship. And then I'll come back up and close out this service and this series.